Hey everyone, my name's Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to say the pain. the pain a podcast brought to you by new course coaching a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery our guest Jessica Lee with us. She works with her husband as they pastor at House of Prayer Pentecostal Church in Fulton, Kentucky, all the while being a mom to two young boys. So Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me and asking me. I'm super excited to share my story. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. And For many people who have experienced a traumatic uh, event in their life, it can be very daunting to come out and to share their experience. But in one thing that I have been recognizing is as soon as that person is willing to open up and share, usually that is motivating or encouraging for someone else to get up and to share what they've experienced and gone through. And it can really allow somebody who feels very isolated and very alone to recognize that there are others who have not necessarily stood in their precise position, but others who at least have some understanding of what it is that they're processing and how to walk their path and some tools to help navigate. So Jessica, you just take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So my husband, Mason and I, we actually got married in July of 2017. And I have like, I've worked with children all of my life and I love kids. And so I've just always wanted to be a mom. And so we had actually found out that we were pregnant in January of 2018. So we hadn't been married too long. And I mean, you know, everybody, you know, they, we set up these own timelines in our own life of, you know, I want to get married at this point. And then I want to wait this long and have kids. And so I would ideally, like I wanted to be a mom and I probably would have waited, you know, maybe a little longer, but you know, we were surprised, but we were excited nonetheless. um, Cause like I said, I always wanted to be a mother. Um, But I had actually found out on a Wednesday that I was pregnant I had been experiencing some symptoms that at the time I thought were just pregnancy symptoms. You know, I'd never been pregnant before. So I don't, you know, I don't think everyone's symptoms are the same anyway, but you know, I just kind of thought that was my body's way of telling me. And I had been experiencing those probably for a day or two. So um, on a Wednesday, I had taken a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant and we were scared, but we were super excited as well. And um, I had been experiencing though some really bad excruciating pain. And so I had shared that with my mom um, pretty much right away when we found out because of the pain. And I, I didn't know if it was normal. And she, you know, she's one of those that she gets on Google for everything. You know, I, I'm kind of the same way. But even my kids are experiencing symptoms, you know, I go and I get it on Google, but she had got on there and she had been calling me back and told me that she thought that I was experiencing an ectopic pregnancy. Well, I didn't know at the time what that really even was. Um, When she told me that, I thought it wasn't really a positive thing, but I thought that in the end, everything could still be okay. Um, So I had then made that decision. I remember now, actually, like I didn't even get on Google and even look up what it was because my husband, he didn't want me to, and he didn't want me to like worry about it. So he was like, don't even get on there. Don't even look stuff up. Um, So I did it. 
but she was just really persistent that she thought something was wrong. And so she wanted us to go to the ER. So my husband and I and her, we had all went to an ER that night. And I told him, you know, that I had just found out that I was pregnant and that I was experiencing this awful pain. And he just, he said that he just thought that I had bronchitis. Well, I've never had bronchitis leading up to that point and I've still never had bronchitis. So I don't really know what that feels like, but I was telling him that this pain was pretty significant. So, you know, as I had said at one point, I would never wish to be sick because no one likes being sick, but I would like to know how bronchitis feels because I told him that this pain was excruciating. So I didn't know at that point if he just wasn't listening to me like in what I was saying that I was feeling, or if no, this is actually a symptom of bronchitis. Again, still don't know because I've not experienced that, but he just said that he thought it was bronchitis. And my mom said, well, you know, since she found out she was pregnant and it's early on, I'm just really worried that she could be experiencing an ectopic pregnancy. And I remember like when I talk about this time in my life, like it brings me back. And I like a lot of times I have visual memories of like, when I talk about it, I can actually see it. It's like, I can see myself sitting in that room. I even remember like looking down at my shoes. Like I remember the shoes I was wearing. I remember the doctor had glasses. Like, it's just like, every time I talk about these scenarios, like I remember those specific situations. And so when I think back to it and my mom told him that she thought it was an ectopic pregnancy, I looked at him and he literally like, almost like rolled his eyes like that he just thought that it was absurd that we would even think that um and he said no there's no way I don't even think that I just think it's bronchitis and he had prescribed me some medication and we were like well is it okay you know to take this with pregnancy they looked it up they said yeah it's safe honestly I don't even remember what the medication was I wouldn't have taken it but the pain was so bad I thought you know it's probably better for me to not be in so much pain so you know I went ahead and took it so this was on a Wednesday night Well, Thursday rolls around and my mom, she is the administrator and director at a daycare at my home church. And one of the moms there worked at the hospital in town. So this would be a different hospital actually than the one that I had been to the night before. And she had told them what was going on and to see if they could get me in for an ultrasound because the place the night before they didn't do an ultrasound. I honestly can't remember if we asked for one at that point. I think that he was just so, no, I don't believe that that's what it is, that it was just kind of left at that. Um, So this now is my second hospital and I go in for an ultrasound and it was my husband, I, and my mom again. And um, this ultrasound, it was excruciating. Like it was very, very, very painful. Mm. And I didn't know, again, this was my first pregnancy. And so I didn't know if it was normal for it to feel that way. Looking back now, I know absolutely no, that's not normal. You should not experience pain. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know at the time. And you know, everybody's different. Everybody, you know, everybody's body's different. But so I just, I didn't know at the time what was normal, and what was not normal. But I definitely did express everything that I was feeling. And so the ultrasound tech was looking, and you know, they can't really say much, but. I could tell that there was no baby on the screen, Um, but she had found what she believed to be the sack and she measured it. And she said, it looks like you're five weeks, one day. And my mom was like, well, we don't see a baby. And she said, well, it's probably just because she's so early on. The baby's just probably too small to see. And we were like, okay. So I remember leaving that appointment and my mom still kind of just thought things weren't okay. But I actually remember thinking I'm five weeks, one day. It's too early to see the baby. This pain's fine. It's going to pass. Like I felt hopeful still. Well, the pain just continued to get worse and worse. And I still thought, what a crazy time to get bronchitis. And, you know, actually now thinking about it and looking back, I was on medication. So it should have, the bronchitis should have got better. I don't know if I didn't think about it in that moment. I don't think that I did, but thinking about it now, I should have got better, you know, but it was progressively just getting worse. It was excruciating and I was so complaining about it. And so by the time Friday rolls around, I was just trying to be hopeful. Um, And again, I go back to, I didn't really know 
what ectopic pregnancy was. So I thought if I was experiencing ectopic pregnancy, that everything would still be okay. But ectopic pregnancy, you know, it's for anyone that may not know, it's for when the baby gets stuck in your fallopian tubes and the baby, um, sometimes it may not continue to grow, but other times the baby does continue to grow there. Um, and so essentially that's kind of what ectopic pregnancy is, but I didn't really, you know, know at the time. Well, Friday rolls around. I'm still going on about this pain. And my mom was just super concerned. And, you know, I'm glad that she, you know, was my voice in the corner. But part of it, I was like, mother, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, just chill out. But she said, I just think that we need to go back to the ER tonight and just have them check. And part of me was like, oh, my word, you know, like, I just want to enjoy, you know, I just found out I was pregnant. I didn't want it to be so much doom and gloom. But, you know, her and I and my husband, we all went and we actually went to a different hospital than we had. So this is now my third hospital, my second ER, because the second time I went, it was just an appointment. So this is my third hospital, my second ER. Wow. Um, and I went in that night and they did some blood work and, and the doctor, um, the ER doctor had come in and he said, you know, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to inform you that you've had a miscarriage. Well, I was in denial and I don't even think that it was just because I didn't want it to be true, but my body had not experienced the miscarriage. And so I, I literally remember telling him and I looked down, I can like remember even looking down at my shoes, same shoes I was wearing Wednesday. And I just like stared at my shoes and I was like, it's not possible. Like my body has not experienced a miscarriage. And so I don't know if he just thought I was in denial Mm. and didn't want to believe it, but I just, am like, my body, it's not doing that. Like, there's no way I could have a miscarriage. I believed that I was not going to have a child at that point and that the pregnancy was over. I, I accepted that in that moment, but I just didn't feel like what they were telling me was right. And he said, we've scheduled you this appointment for Monday. Um, I don't really know what their intents were with that appointment. I think it was just really planned to be a follow-up, but he said, you're going to come in and see this doctor and, and, you know, I'm really sorry. I'll give you some time. And he had left the room, got my discharge papers. You know, I was, I was upset. I remember my husband and I had a moment that night where we just, you know, we cried together because we just found out on Wednesday we were going to be parents. And then it was just so much doom and gloom, you know, those couple of days. And by Friday night, we knew that it wasn't a possibility. So this pain had continued over the weekend, you know, all day Saturday, I could hardly even cough because it was so excruciating. I remember like preparing my body. Like I would put my hands on my back on my right side, like before I went to cough because it was so painful. I remember I explained to one doctor, I'm like, it literally feels like my body is like going to fall in half because I'm like being stabbed persistently, you know, in this one side. And so, you know, that was going on all day Saturday for part of the day Sunday. Well, you know, my family and I, we go to church. And so Sunday we're at church and, you know, I was just kind of praying about, you know, everything that had happened, you know, no one really knew what was going on at that point, but I was pretty much just praying for like, you know, peace and comfort. But, um, at that point, the pain had went away. So I just thought in my mind then, you know, like, you know, this was also horrible and God's healed me of the pain, you know, so I could, you know, move on and, you know, God can, he can heal us. I just thought in that moment that that is what happened. Like, well, I'm at church, I'm praying, you know, this pain's gone. And so I just, you know, that was it. And so I go in Monday and I assume that it's just going to be a checkup and that they're going to tell me that, you know, give it a couple of days, the baby will pass. Um, and I really just went in thinking that that's all it was going to be. And we weren't even concerned anymore because the pain was gone. So my husband had already taken off so much work at that point, And we just thought that that's all I was going to go in for. And so just my mom with me that day. And I was like, I was in a good headspace, you know, everything was fine. And yeah, that's all I expected why I went in. And the doctor, she kind of seemed to like pry for more information. Like she wasn't just there to do a checkup. She, she must've really looked at my chart too, because then she wanted me to have an ultrasound and I was not expecting an ultrasound that day. Um, I honestly really kind of didn't even know why they were wanting to do one because really at that point at top, like I didn't believe I had a miscarriage, but ectopic pregnancy was kind of like out of the question. Like I didn't think that's what was going on anymore. And so I had went in for the ultrasound and it hurt so bad again. Like 
stuff, but I told him that overall, like the pain was gone. And she said, like the doctor actually came in with the tech, you know, I've had two other children since then. I've had a lot of ultrasounds done and I mean, I've never had another doctor step in, but she just really wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on. And so she came in and she said, yeah, there it is. And I, I didn't really know what she was talking about. And she said, you're having an ectopic pregnancy. And so she had seen it there Mm. and she said, we're going to have to do immediate surgery. Well, I was shocked. I was expecting just a, you know, a checkup. And so I called my husband and let him know what was going on. And it wasn't too far from where we lived. And so he came up there and I think it was just a couple hours later, I had actually went back into surgery. And by the time the surgery was over and I was, you know, awake and back to and everything, um, my mom and my husband had went on about how the surgery was a lot longer than what they thought it would be. Well, at that point, my doctor had come in to talk to me and she said when she went in to do the surgery, that there was just so much blood that she said that the, um, my fallopian tube had actually ended up bursting where the baby was. And so I told her that, you know, my pain had went away the day before on Sunday. And so I thought that things were better because my pain had went away, but it was actually worse because I wasn't feeling the baby stretch my fallopian tube anymore. So I thought that was good, but it was because it had burst and I was bleeding internally. And so at this point it had been at least 24 hours, you know, possibly a little more that I'd been bleeding internally. And she said, you know, I'm glad you came in when you did, because this could have been fatal. Like I, I wouldn't have made it through the next night for sure. Cause at this point it had already been 24 hours. Mm. And so that was wild to wrap my mind around. I don't really think that I did it first. Um, but you know, I just, it should have been found sooner and it, it, it wasn't. And, you know, I'm really thankful because, you know, I know that God kept me because, you know, I, I shouldn't be here today, but I was just scared, you know, from then on, because they told me too, that when you have an ectopic pregnancy, that you're always high risk of having another, um, So, you know, I've been pregnant two more times since then, and I was always sure to find out really soon and go in as soon as I found out so they could, you know, detect early on if I was having another one or not. But I just remember like, you know, then when I found that information out that I was just very upset because all I ever wanted to be was a mom, you know, and I just wanted to have my own kids. And I just thought that it wasn't ever going to be possible for me because, you know, my mind had told me you know, you, you might get pregnant again, but you're just going to have another ectopic pregnancy. And, you know, I even had a friend, you know, this is, it had been years since then, you know, after I had my first son, she got pregnant and she actually was experiencing a lot of the same symptoms as I was. And so she was messaging me and I really encouraged her to go in and get checked out because I believed, you know, that she was having an ectopic pregnancy and, you know, come to find out she did. And then, you know, she got pregnant a couple months after that and she had another, you know, so, so my mind was telling me, you know, like, even after I had my first child, you know, I was like, you know, I got lucky, but it'll, it'll probably never happen again for me, you know? And so like, you know, my mind was just, you know, telling me things like that. And I believed it. And, you know, at one point I just, at first it never, you know, think that I would be able to be a mother. And so, you know, that was something that was really hard to go through on top of the loss. But, you know, during that time, it, you know, it was really, I had a lot of people that reached out to me and that was something that really helped me get through that time because they had reached out and, you know, they may have not even necessarily gone through an ectopic pregnancy, but, you know, they could have experienced, you know, a miscarriage or, you know, stillbirth or, you know, other things. But some of them, it was so shocking to me because I had several, like several people reach out to me. And some of these were just acquaintances that, you know, I knew them, but I didn't know them well enough to know personal things like that. But others I knew really well. And like, I saw them on a daily basis. Um, you know, I was a preschool teacher at the time. And some of these were, um, I was a preschool teacher at a daycare. So some of these were parents that were bringing their child into my class, you know, that I taught and I would see them every day. And I had no idea that they had been through, you know, the things that they had been through. And I just, I remember thinking, I couldn't believe I didn't know that. And I didn't know why I didn't already, you know, know this about them, but it just, I don't know. A lot of people I found that when you go through something like that, then you find out that there's others. And so that was really helpful to me. But I remember I kept thinking like, why didn't they ever share that before? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I was the same way at first. Like I didn't ever want to talk about it. And I don't really know why I didn't want to talk about it. Like it wasn't embarrassment or anything like that. You know, I know some they deal with, they feel that it's their fault and that their body failed them. And that's why it happened. And, you know, that's not sure. the truth at all. You know, that's not the truth at all, but I don't know why it's kept so hush hush because I realized when people shared their story with me, like that was encouraging to me, you know, if they can get through it, I can get through it. But I realized, you know, as the years went on, the more I talk about it, like the easier it is because, you know, at first it was really hard, you know, with the initial loss. Um, but then it's, you know, it's not just like a one-time loss. You know, I missed out on all the first of my first child, you know, like the first time they talk or they walk or they go to school or, you know, turn 16 and get a driver's license or get married, you know, things like that. And so I have like random moments in my life now that I think back, but I mean, it does get easier as time goes on and, you know, you get to a point where you can look back and smile. And I just, I always reassure myself that, you know, my child doesn't know the pain of this world. And so, you know, I, I do find comfort in that. Um, but, you know, talking about it, I think helps. And, you know, all those women that reached out to me, I was super thankful then. And I, I know some were hesitant because I feel sometimes too, like when we go to share our experience, you know, if someone's been through something and we share ours, we're hesitant to do that because we don't want them to think that we're trying to make everything about ourselves. And so I, I feel like sometimes people are hesitant to share because they're like, no, this is about what you went through. And I, I'm not trying to overstep that. And so like, I'm really thankful they did, like, if that makes sense, because that really helped me. And so I know that I was going through a hard time and they didn't want to feel that they were taking away from that. But like I told them, I just, and I don't think they understood, like that was extremely, extremely helpful to me to know what someone else has been through, you know? And so like, if anyone that's listening, you know, has been through something and they have a friend that's gone through something else, you know, don't be afraid to share what you've been through because that was super encouraging. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a believer and I go to church and, you know, God helped me through a lot of that too, but, you know, just all of those friends sharing what they had been through, um, that really is what got me through that time was to know that I was not alone and you know maybe every story doesn't look exactly the same but there's other people out there that understand what you've been through and you you aren't all alone you know sometimes how we we think we are so so again you know that was something that was super encouraging to me during that time so could you um maybe speak <laughs> to what it was like to process being misdiagnosed so many times but then still having to go back to the doctor yeah so that was that was wild because you know I went to one hospital on Wednesday one on Thursday one on Friday and I had seen two different doctors and two different ultrasound techs and by the time I got to my third doctor which was actually the OB like she was, I don't, I just, I felt like I wasn't really listened to. And I don't know if it's just, cause again, I keep going back to, it was my first time ever being pregnant. And so I didn't know what was normal, but I did feel that I was very clear about the pain I was experiencing. And so I don't know if they just thought that I was in denial. Um, but I just, I didn't feel that I was being listened to which was super aggravating because I mean, ultimately because of that, you know, I could have passed away. Sure. And so, you know, I, you know, I thank God for keeping me, you know, because I was bleeding internally for so long and had this been caught sooner, you know, I could have had the surgery before my fallopian tube ever ruptured, you know? So now I'm still living with that. Like I have one fallopian tube and part of another, wow. which something actually wild that the doctor had said is that there's some instances where the fallopian tube can actually grow back. Mm. So if anyone listening has ever been through ectopic pregnancy um, and they've had one that's ruptured, she said she didn't even actually do like a full removal. Like there was part of it like that was left and it kind of just sealed off because it's been known. And again, this is what I've have was told I've not like you know done research or anything on it but this is what my doctor that was very helpful to me told me that there's actually been times where they have gone back 
you know, so there still is hope, you know, if you've been through something like that, you know, it's not, it's not the end of it, you know, there still is hope, but I mean, that was, I mean, bronchitis, I just, (laughs) I just cannot believe that was my diagnosis, and I don't know if that first doctor was having a rough day, or if he just thought that I was being dramatic about the pain, or I don't know what it was, but And again, I've never had bronchitis, so I don't know what it's like, but this was excruciating and I didn't even, I didn't even really have a bad cough. So I'm trying to figure out that diagnosis. I mean, I had a cough, but it wasn't like I was coughing all the time. You know, like when you're sick, you cough a lot. It's just like when I did cough that it was awful and I couldn't lay certain ways because it hurt so bad. But I mean, if you, if anyone feels that they are being misdiagnosed and it really doesn't sit right with them. I just, I think someone should always follow their gut. I mean, your gut nine times out of 10 is going to be right. And so I didn't understand too much. I don't know if I didn't have much of a gut feeling then, but it wasn't sitting right with my mom's gut, you know, but, um, you know, that Friday, you know, I think that was my first moment of, I'm not being told right. Cause I accepted the bronchitis and you know, that Thursday, you know, they said you're five weeks, one day. I'm like, okay, you know, this is fine. Um, but it was finally on that Friday night when he said I've had a miscarriage and it, and it wasn't that I was in denial. And I think that he maybe thought that I was, no, I accepted this is over. I'm not going to have a baby. I accepted that but I'm not accepting it's in the way that you're saying, because something just was not sitting right with me. And so if anyone ever feels that they're being uh, misdiagnosed, definitely go and get another opinion. Cause like I said, I had, I had been between three hospitals and three doctors and had seen different ultrasound texts. And I mean, I went through all of that. And so, you know, to some that might seem excessive, but had I not done all of that, I could have, I could have passed away because I was bleeding internally. And, you know, maybe it's, I don't know how every ectopic pregnancy plays out, but you know, that's how mine played out and it was extreme. Sure. So if something just doesn't sit right with you and your gut tells you this isn't right, it has to be something else. I would definitely just make sure to follow that gut feeling and go get another opinion because, you know, they don't always know they're not always right. And it's not even to necessarily down doctors, but you know, at the end of the day, they, they weren't right. It wasn't until I had met with that last doctor that actually got to the root of the problem, um, that it was actually found out what I was going through, you know? So I'm, I'm very, very thankful for her because like I said, she even stepped in when they were doing the ultrasound herself to try to help find out what was wrong because she knew that we had been to many places, you know, since that Wednesday. So yeah, if it doesn't sit right with your gut and you just don't feel personally, because even, even now as being a mom and I take my kids, you know, now into the doctor for for some things and they tell me something, my doctor, you know, they obviously are qualified. They know all these things and understand all these things that I don't, but I know my child. And if that doesn't sit right with me, I'm going to keep digging and I'm going to get another opinion because I know my kid, the same goes for like, you know, your body. Yes, they, they're a doctor and they may have all this knowledge that we don't, but at the end of the day, they don't know your body like you know your body. So like if that, if it's not sitting right with you, you know, it's not, you're not saying, oh, they're dumb and they don't know what they're talking about. But if it doesn't sit right with you in your gut, definitely go get another opinion. So. So after your ectopic pregnancy though, and you've spoken about it, you, you did get pregnant and you have children. And yes. So you speak to kind of that transition in your life from moving out of that loss and then into being pregnant again. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I had, I think I had mentioned it a little bit earlier, you know, I was scared that I would never be able to have children again. And that's all that I had wanted. And so I was scared that, you know, getting pregnant in the future, I could go through something similar again. And so, you know, there was kind of those feelings that had kind of stuck with me, but I had actually found out then. So this was January of 2018 when everything happened, literally like to the day. And I remember it because it it was January 8th, Elvis's birthday. 
that's why I remember it. But it literally was one year later, I found out that I was pregnant. And I was, I was really scared at first, um, because I knew that I could have another ectopic pregnancy again, that I was high risk. So I immediately went in, I immediately, and at this point, I was actually living somewhere else. Uh, my husband and I were assistant pastors in Danville, Illinois. So we were living there at the time. And I called them and I told them what had happened, you know, a year prior, um, to that and told them that you know they told me I would be high risk and they said yes and they made me an appointment that day to get in so my husband and I went in together and we were very very scared you know that it was going to happen again and I talked about how when I talk about this time in my life like I'm literally brought back like I can see us in that room where he was sitting where I was laying looking at the screen and I remember them doing the ultrasound and I just kept praying and you know it was just I was trying to be hopeful but at the same time not get my hopes up in case it happened again but I literally remember like looking up at that screen and you could see like this little tiny dot and there was like a little like thud on it and she said do you see that moving right there and I said yes and she said that's the baby's heartbeat and I just cried and cried and cried. And my husband cried because it measured. And I think I was like five weeks, two days. Wow. And you know, with the other one, I was five weeks, one day, and there was no baby there. And they said, you know, the baby could just be too small. And I didn't know I took her and you know, there, there's maybe instances that can happen. You know, I took her word for it, but I was five weeks, two days this time. And we saw a heartbeat. And so, and they were able to measure it and everything. And so I actually, my due date, it's crazy. So my due date with the first one was September 23rd. And so with my second one, my due date was September 26th. So it literally, this experience was like almost exactly a year apart. And so, you know, I think that no pregnancy is perfect. You know, you're going to have little things that happen like setbacks, but I mean, I did have some complications, but overall, you know, things went okay. Um, but then when I went to actually go in to give birth, I had to get induced because I had gestational hypertension. I think I hit like 37 weeks, uh, six days is what it was. And my blood pressure started to get really high and they didn't want it to turn into preeclampsia. And so they went ahead and induced me. Well, my body was just not ready for that. And part of it is probably too, because, you know, it was my first time giving birth, but I won't go into detail, but it was a traumatic, traumatic birth mm. experience. And again, I never had a child, so I didn't know what was normal. And so at the time I thought that that was normal. Um, and, you know, I've had another since then. And now I know that that was not normal. So I don't know if my uh, epidural just didn't take or what it was, but I felt everything and it was excruciating and um, probably traumatic for everyone on that floor. Cause I was screaming, like it was, it was rough. Um, but so he came and the whole experience was just awful, awful, awful. And, um, I just kind of was like, okay, well, you know, it's all worth it though. Cause you know, my baby's here. So I think he was probably about two hours old and, you know, all of our family was there. Um, he was born September 8th of 2019. And so, you know, my family was there, my husband's family, family was there and they all came in to see him and he started to make this noise. And my mother-in-law was actually holding him at the time. And she said, oh, do you hear that little noise he's making? And I was sitting there eating my meal after I had my child, you know, I, I chose a Big Mac. My dad went and got me a Big Mac meal and I'm just sitting there enjoying that. And as soon as she said that, I saw my nurse that was in the room with me. She like popped up and was like, that sound does not sound normal. And so immediately it's like, I was having a good time. You know, everyone came in and I remember thinking, I'm going to be this chill mom. Like I'm going to be so relaxed because I literally worked with kids all of my life. So I'm like, I've seen like every sickness, like anything that can happen, I'm going to be so well prepared and so chill because I've seen it all. Like that literally was my thought in my mind going into motherhood. And in that moment, when she said, 
do you hear that sound he's making? My nurse had walked over there and said, let me see Beckett for a minute. And she was holding him. And I literally felt like all of these feelings immediately literally just wash over me. Like someone had dumped like a bucket of water on top of my head. Like it literally just washed over me of, oh my goodness, what is wrong with him? And she told one of the other nurses to go get this doctor. I didn't know who this doctor was, the lady that I had a lady that delivered. And so she wanted them to bring in some man. And I'm like, who is this? Well, he comes in and he was the NICU doctor and they were assessing him because he was having trouble breathing and he was sounding kind of gurgly. And immediately I just thought in my mind, you know, because I was scared before that I wasn't going to have a child, like be able to have children and that things were just going to go wrong up until my pregnancy experiences at that point, you know, they had. And so immediately I thought, oh no, something's wrong with him. He's not going to make it. And I think, you know, feelings of worry are natural when you have kids. Like when you have kids, you're always going to worry. They say it's like your heart living outside of your body. And it literally is like that. But he came in and they assessed him and I just cried and cried and cried immediately. And part of it was probably, you know, just, you know, emotions from everything. Cause you know, he wasn't even that old, but they decided that they were going to admit him to the NICU. And so, you know, keep in mind, obviously, you know, my husband and I, you know, after he was born, we had that time where it was just us three alone. They call it the golden hour before we brought family in, but it's like, I was still trying to even get to know this kid. And then all of the family came in, they all met him, they all passed him around. So I hadn't even hardly get to spend much time with him. Like I really didn't even get a chance to feed him yet. Like he tried, he wasn't able to, or like, we'll try again. Like I was still trying to get to know this kid and he was taken away. And so I don't even think my epidural, like it hadn't even wore off all the way yet. And they took him to the NICU. And I got up out of that bed, like the second that I could. And they told me, no, you need to lay back down. No, you need to lay back down. And I was like, no, I'm going to go like, you know, check out my child. You know, there was windows on the NICU and my husband wasn't going to tell me no, you know, cause my mind was made up and I, you know, he wanted to go see him too. And they wouldn't let us in, but there was a window and I literally like wobbled over there holding on. Cause I still had IVs and stuff hooked up and I held onto that and pushed it. He was just down the hall, but I looked into the window and there were so many nurses standing around him where I couldn't even see him. And it, I really don't know how long it was that I had went without seeing him. I think it was around like four or five hours, but I had just had this kid and almost immediately, you know, he was taken away from me and they even had moved me to a different room. Um, a lot of the family ended up leaving because then at that point, no one was allowed to go in to see him, but my husband and I, and so finally we were able to get in to see him and he was hooked up. He had oxygen. He had stuff hooked up to his heart. And we were able to hold him. And he had all these wires attached to him. And I remember just being so afraid that he wasn't going to make it. Mm. And so they pretty much just said that he had wet lungs. And, you know, he was born early, you know, so his lungs weren't developed all of the way. Uh, but they just needed to continue to mature. And so they said, you know, he's just going to have to, you know, be in here for a little bit. You know, he'll get over that. He can go home. And I was like, okay. Well, he had had tons of different x-rays and stuff done over the, you know, the time that he was in there. And, you know, you really don't want stuff like that done to a newborn. But then they found out too that uh, he had had two different holes in his heart, um, that his lungs were underdeveloped. And I'm like, I thought I had this healthy baby and now all these things are going wrong. And we didn't know at the time they said, you know, they were going to have to look more into it but if the hole didn't close by itself then they were going to have to possibly do surgery and so I just kept thinking in my mind like these awful feelings washed over me I was like he's not going to make it like I just didn't think he was going to make it and you know several days went by and we only actually ended up being there for nine days but it literally felt like an eternity like I can't imagine people that have their child at like 20 seven weeks and their child's in the NICU for months because those nine days felt like nine years like it was awful we didn't hardly ever even leave his room thankfully 
the, we actually were going to deliver at one hospital and they were full. And so I got stuck going to another and I was a little upset, but I was, you know, just kind of whatever. I was excited. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have our baby today. It's fine. Well, by the grace of God, we ended up where we did because, you know, I was then moved to a different room. And after a day or two, you know, I was officially discharged. But the way this hospital was set up is on the floor of the NICU, they have rooms where their parents can stay. And even though I was discharged, like we were able to stay in the hospital until he left. So whether he was there a week, whether he was there a month, like I could stay and our insurance paid for it. So I was like, thank God, because you know, this other place, you know, I tell myself, you know, God knew that was going to happen because this other place, they didn't have rooms like that. They had a house across the street, but I think it only had like four bedrooms. And if there were already four families there, you can't stay there. And the town I delivered in was 45 minutes to an hour away from where we lived. And so, you know, we hardly even left Beckett. Like we were in there all day, the majority of the night the nurses, you know, they kept pushing for me to go back to my room and sleep. And I really didn't want to, but they were like, look, you know, it's not going to be good if, you know, he's in here and then you're exhausted. And they said, the more tired you are, the more emotional you're going to be. And so, you know, I would try to take time, you know, to go sleep and stuff, but I just remember like he had a blanket and I'd go back to the room and I would just cry and cry and cry. Cause I literally just, I didn't think that he was going to live. Mm. And I remember they like the doctors and nurses would talk about, you know, when he gets to go home. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I wish that could be true. Like I would entertain the thought of him going home as like a glimmer of the hope, but I didn't actually think that it was going to happen. Like I did, I just thought he was going to get worse. Cause you know, he had setbacks, you know, and I think that's, you know, just normal, but he had setbacks where they had to bump up his oxygen or, you know, then he got put on a feeding tube. And I just thought this just, and then we found out about the holes in his heart, you know, I'm like, this just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Like he's not going to make it. And so, um, finally, you know, after nine days, he was able to go home and I literally just could not believe it. Like I thought it was a miracle. We got to go home because I didn't think he was going to make it. And then, you know, following that, we had to go see a cardiologist to get his heart checked out um, to, you know, make sure that the hole was going to close on its own because if it didn't, he would need surgery. And thankfully, the hole did close. Um, He does still actually have another hole in his heart now, but they said, I don't remember what kind of hole it is in his heart, but they said it's one that's never going to cause him any problems. And so now we we don't even have to go back again until he's five. Um, But they said, you know, if we notice stuff, bring him in, but you know, they said it shouldn't cause him any problems. So I was like, okay, thank God. Well, you know, Beckett, he's just been such a sick little boy, you know, ever since he was born, you know, he's three now, he'll be four this year, but um, around the time he was five months, he had a stay in the hospital again. And I believe this was again, nine days. And he was extremely, extremely sick. We actually just got back from Iowa. And, uh, he at first had the flu and then it wasn't, he wasn't quite over the flu. And we had found out that, um, he had had RSV on top of it. And so he was just very, very sick, extremely high fevers. And then his RSV ended up getting so bad that they actually ended up admitting him into the hospital and he was in intensive care. And again, like all those feelings of when he was in the NICU just came back to me and I just kept thinking like, he's not going to make it. Um, And they just kept going on about how they were worried about his lungs because there was some unidentified specimen is what they kept calling it. Well, this was in March of 2020. It literally was two weeks before the world found out about COVID. And so looking back at it now, we think on top of like RSV and the flu that he also had COVID, but at the time it wasn't really known what it was. Like it wasn't, you know, the world wasn't made aware yet. No, actually this was February. So March So I think it was like the last week in February, the whole month of February for him was just rough, but he was just extremely, extremely sick. And I just remember, I kept thinking again, like he's not going to make it. He was on oxygen again. He was on a feeding tube again. Mm. Um, And it was just some really, really long days. And, you know, he got out of the hospital and was able to go home. And again, I'm like, oh, by the skin of our teeth, you know, we got out. Um, But it's just like that has kind of been the pattern with him. Like he's just had a lot of uh, respiratory issues. And so I've just, 
you know, anytime it's like, he could barely cough. And I would be like, oh my word, this is going to end so badly, which, you know, now they're saying it's not been officially diagnosed, but they think that he has asthma. And so it's like, you know, it can come out of nowhere and get you, but I wasn't the chill laid back parent that I thought I was going to be like, I was like the helicopter mom that I did not think I was going to be at all because he just was so sick. And I just, every time I just thought he's not going to make it, he's going to die. And my mind kept telling me this, well, he's about eight months old. And I find out that I'm pregnant with our second child. Wow. And this is in the middle of COVID, like the world's on lockdown. Everyone's kept away from everybody that they love. You know, we're all really isolated. And I was terrified. Like I wanted more children, but I think that I kind of just pushed back the traumatic birth experience, like kind of out of my mind because I was so focused on him. But when I found out I was pregnant, I was absolutely terrified that I like was not going to make it. And so I think it had actually been like, I was several months along before I even shared this with my husband. Like I kind of talked to my mom about it and she was like, what's going, like, what's up with you? And so I'd finally told her like, I don't know what it is, but I literally like my husband would go to work and I stayed at home with Beckett and I would cry like every single day. And at the time, like, you know, I thought like I'm depressed and I'm like, why am I depressed? Like I have a husband, I have a baby, like we're expecting another child. Like, why am I crying so much? But I told her, I was like, I just feel like when I go to give birth to the second child that I'm going to die. And I was like, I don't know why I feel this way. And she said that she had experienced something similar with my youngest brother. And she's like, have you talked to Mason about it? Which is my husband. And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, well, you just need to talk to him about it. Well, I told him and he just, it was upsetting to him because I think like men, they like to fix everything. And so he wanted to know like how he could fix it, but there wasn't like really a way that, you know, he could fix it. And so I just, I cried and cried and cried just all the time. And at that point he knew about it. And so I didn't try to hide it as much, but I literally was just so upset. Like I thought I was going to die and it got to the point to where I even like had letters prepared for like Beckett's uh, birthday, Um, like birthdays. I wanted to write letters for like his wedding, like when he turned 16, when he turned 18, like I wanted like, you know, days that he was sad or, you know, things like that. Like I wanted to leave all these letters for him because I wanted him to know that like, you know, he had a mom that loved him. And Mm. so that was really upsetting, you know, obviously for my husband. And um, I even like went to the extent of, I would ask him, so, you know, what are you going to do for daycare? Like after our, you know, I have like the baby. Cause honestly at that point, like I didn't even like my mind, I didn't even really even know if I thought the baby was or wasn't going to make it. But I just kind of thought that he would be like this parent that was alone. And he's like, what do you mean? What am I going to do with the kids? Like you're, you're going to stay at home and watch them. And I said, no, I mean, for like when I'm not here anymore. Mm. And I mean, I, I know looking at back at that, that that had to have been very upsetting to him. And it was, but I was just trying to, to like, in my mind, like I knew that I was not going to make it. Wow. And so I wanted to know, like, are you going to send them to daycare or are you like, are you going to move back to where I'm from in Illinois, like Southern Illinois? Are you going to move back to where you're from in Mississippi and like have that support system? Like, what's your plan? And so he, you know, he, he just knew that this was not going to happen, but at the same time, like I needed peace of mind. Cause I just knew it in my mind to be true that I was not going to make it. And so I, I had a doctor appointment coming up and he wanted me to be honest with my doctor about what was going on. And so I told him that I would, well, this was in the point to where I think he was just now like able to come back to doctor appointments because at first he wasn't even allowed, you know, because of COVID. But Mm. I remember I had went and checked into the doctor and they had gave me this piece of paper and it was a depression and 
anxiety um, screening. And I had kind of made up my mind on the drive there. Like, no, you know, I think it's all fine. I can navigate this. I don't know if I'm going to tell my doctor what I'm going through. Well, then when they handed me that anxiety and depression screening, I knew that I just, I had to answer honestly. And so like, you know, I started to get really emotional, like reading the questions and I look up and there's my husband. And I didn't know that he was coming to my appointment that day. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I came to support you today. And just to make sure that you were honest with your doctor. And so I answered all the questions correctly. And I get back there and, you know, they, you know, do all the normal stuff or, you know, they check my blood pressure and all that. And the nurse had kind of looked down at my paper and I knew that she had seen enough already to know that I was not doing too hot and so she said all right well your doctor's gonna be in here in a minute to be with you and I just started crying like immediately because I'm like oh god here we go well my doctor comes in and she's like hey how you doing today she said are you having a little bit of a rough time and I said yeah and so she said what's up and so I just just laid it all out and I was like look I've just been terrified that when I go to give birth to the second baby that I'm just not going to make it. And so we had talked like she wasn't the same one that had delivered my first. And so we talked about how it was. And she was like trying to get to the root of the problem. Like, well, what exactly are you afraid of? And so she just, I don't know exactly how long we were together. You know, a lot of times you go in for those appointments and you're kind of in and out, you know, maybe like a 20, 30 minute thing tops. It felt like two hours that we were there together. And um, she went through all the possibilities of, you know, if this happens, this is what we'll do to take care of it. If this happens, this is what we'll do to take care of it. Like she just really reassured me that everything was going to be okay. And she really wanted me to go to counseling, which I was super against. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with going to counseling. Like, I think it's great. I think even if you don't feel that you are struggling with something, that counseling just good, you know, to just to go and talk about things and just to process life in general. But I just really didn't want to do that. And I told her that I just felt so much better. And I honestly did. I think that I had kept it to myself for so long that I had just built it into this mountain that of something it wasn't. And as soon as I said it all, like all those feelings that I had were very real, but it's like, as soon as I said it all and told her what I was facing, I just, I kind of realized how irrational it was too, you know? And so she was like, well, if, and I told her, I was like, I honestly feel like I am better after today. Like today was enough for me. And she said, well, I'm glad to hear that. But she said, here's a card for if you change your mind. She actually said, I'm going to give this to your husband because I know you are going to throw it away. But she wrote me a prescription um, for medication too. She said, if you feel like you need this, I want you to take it and it'll help you with that. And I was open to that. Like, I think sometimes we're against, oh, I don't need counseling. I don't need medication. We look at that as bad things. No, those are not bad things. Like we have all these things as tools to help us. So I took the medication just in case I filled it. But honestly, at that point, I just, I felt so much better. Like I know that it's going to be okay. So fast forward, I go in to give birth. This was literally, and my mom couldn't be there and I hated that because of COVID, but it was just my husband and I. And if I could birth children like that, like I could birth a, a hundred children. Like it was wonderful. It went over great. I actually was laughing and carrying on conversation when Brooks came into the world. And um, it's just like with Beckett. So like when I gave birth to Beckett, it was just so much pain and I was so thankful it was over and my husband was over beside me like weeping you know we just brought this kid into the world like oh thank god that's over with well then with Brooks you know my husband's just smiling and I have him and I like just began to weep like I like he balled with Beckett I balled with Brooks and it's just like I had built all these things up into my mind where I thought this was going to be completely awful and it was the exact opposite of that. And I just held him and I'm like, buddy, like we've been through so much together. Like mm. I had had so many just awful intrusive thoughts while I was pregnant with him. And I know he felt everything I felt. At one point I even had like an awful anxiety attack and I'd only ever experienced that one time. And I never had it again, thank God. But I literally like, I couldn't physically breathe. 
And I thought in that moment, like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. And I kept, I remember I kept trying to stop it. Cause I'm like, if I'm not getting oxygen, the baby's not getting oxygen. And I just held him. And I'm like, we've been through so much together that like no one else even knows. And I was just, I felt like, you know, okay, you know, this is past, but those intrusive thoughts were just, they were, they were awful, you know, that I didn't think I was going to make it. And it literally was almost like at times, like a daily thing. And you know, I even dealt with it after I had them, but I actually, I guess I should go back that I, that day when I talked to my doctor, I, they told me that I had post like anxiety. And so like, I had had some of it, like after I had Beckett, so it would have been like postpartum anxiety, but like, I didn't really, it wasn't as bad at that point. And so she said, she just thinks it was the um, perfect storm. And that, you know, with the way the world was going, it hadn't been that long since I had had another child and I got pregnant with another. And so my body didn't have a chance to go back to normal, but she said, you know, it's anxiety. Well, I definitely for sure thought it was going to be depression. Like I hadn't even heard of postpartum anxiety or prepartum anxiety or whatever. And so I just, I really didn't even quite understand what that was um, at the moment, but so I knew I had got, you know, diagnosed with that before I actually had Brooks, but then it's like, I became more aware of what anxiety was. And so like so much of the anxiety was leading up to the birth that I was afraid that I was going to die or that the baby and I would both die and it would just be this traumatic experience. But it's like those intrusive thoughts like carried on after I had him, you know, so I had these two young kids, you know. I had Brooks in December of 2020. And so, you know, COVID still wasn't over. We weren't quite in the thick of it anymore, but I just felt like, you know, I try to keep this one kid in a bubble and like sheltered from the world. And now I have two that I have to worry about. And it was just so many intrusive thoughts all the time. Um, and, you know, I actually, I ended up getting through it. You know, I went back to how I'm a, I'm a believer and I go to church and, you know, I had went one Sunday and I totally believe that I believe that God healed me from that and so I don't struggle with it like I do but I still definitely have moments where I feel that it tries to creep back and I have to like I'm aware of it now and so like I stop it like in its tracks and I don't allow those feelings um, and those thoughts to continue and I think that that's really important because anxiety a lot of it is just like worry and fear and so when they talk about when my doctor talked about the perfect storm you know during COVID there was a lot of fear and worry and uncertainty into the world and so that kind of just played into what I was experiencing with pregnancy and so again you know how she says it was the perfect storm but I'm more aware now of what it is and so like used to like the old me would like dwell on those thoughts and I don't dwell on those thoughts now, you know, I stop them in their tracks. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's something that has definitely helped, but um, I just, I'm thankful that I don't have to, you know, live like that anymore because I just like, you know, now Beckett can cough and old me would think we're going to wind up in the hospital. This is going to get so bad you know, he's not going to make it. And now I'm like, oh, you okay, buddy. Like, I'm just such a different person now than I was like two, three years ago. And, you know, that was something that's very hard to go through. And I just, I don't think it's, you know, talked about enough. And I definitely think it's good to talk about. So when you asked me to do this podcast, you know, like I was all on board with it because I think talking about it and being aware of things, I mean, it definitely, it definitely does help. So kind of in a nutshell, um, that's, you know, what I had experienced, um, with anxiety. So, and I know you addressed through the anxiety, there was just a lot of fear Yeah. And when you talked about it or like when it actually was audible out loud, something shifted. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing, um, that talking about that, that helps is that our feelings that we have are very real but that doesn't make it a reality. So what I mean by that is like an easy way to put it is you can text somebody like this, this close friend that you have, you can send them a text message. Well, hours can pass and they don't text you back. And naturally we may not do this all the time, but you know, at some point everyone's probably guilty to think, oh, they're upset with me. 
Like, what did I do? Why are they not texting me back? We can make up all these things. And our feelings are valid. Like we feel that, yes, that's what we're feeling, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Like your friend could have a busy day. Your friend, you know, maybe hasn't checked their phone. Their phone could be dead. You know, that's the reality of it. Sure. So like I was having all these feelings and these intrusive thoughts and like those feelings and thoughts, like it was valid, but that's not necessarily like reality, you know? And so like, I think that when I did talk about it, you know, a lot of it came crumbling down. It's because I had built all of this up in my head, but the moment I spoke on it and, you know, realized, you know, what was, what was going on. It's just, I didn't, I didn't deal with it the same anymore. So. So kind of going through your story and you spoke to the postpartum anxiety of kind of the addressing it and calling it out for what it was, was Mm -hmm in moving forward through that time. Yeah, absolutely. So going back though to the ectopic pregnancy for anyone who's listening that's maybe gone through an ectopic pregnancy, what would you maybe encourage them of just some tools that you found helpful in moving forward? I know we've talked about it. I know there's a lot of things that they've probably gleaned, but like if you could just look at somebody who's mm-hmm. just through it, and say, hey, this is what I recommend because it helped me. What would you say? Yeah, I think again, for sure that it's definitely talking about it. Cause like I said, going through that, the one thing that was super encouraging to me was that others shared their story. And so um, if you're going through it, you know, be open to having those conversations Um, because talking about it, I think we just build all these things up in our mind. And again, I think one of those can be that I'm alone could be something that we build up in our mind and nobody's going to understand. No, someone else may have not walked the exact same path as you, you know, but they understand what you're going through. And so I think for sure, being open to talking about it and honestly, even if you feel that you need to go to counseling or seek therapy or whatever about it, I think that that's a great thing because talking about it, we just build these things up in our mind to be these mountains that, which in reality that they're not. And so I think the biggest thing for me was that was listening to other people's stories and yeah, you know, in the moment you're going to cry about it, you know, cause it is emotional, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think it's so important to talk about it, to be able to move on, you know, it is a traumatic thing, but talking about it definitely makes it better. So for sure. Maybe those listening just know somebody who's going through it. How would you encourage those that actually on looking? How can they be a good support system for those that they're watching go through something like what you have? Yeah. So I think just honestly, just being there, is enough. Um, I think if someone hasn't been through, um, you know, a pregnancy loss, they don't know how to help somebody. And, you know, I had people along the way that helped me and we, I think we can think, oh, I don't know what they're going through. So I can't help. I don't think that that's true. You know, I had flowers sent to my house and that, that really something as simple as flowers. And I'm not even a flowers person, like personally, I think they're a waste of money. Like they're going to, they're going to, you know, not to be harsh, but I tell my husband, you know, on special occasions, don't get me flowers because I think it's a waste of money. If randomly on a Thursday, you want to get me some, then it's going to mean something. But honestly, I had flowers sent to my house and that meant so much to me. And it was from a person who had not even walked down my path, but I knew that they were there for me and they were there in my corner. I had other people cook dinner for me someone else delivered pizza, like to them, it probably didn't seem like much, but to me, it, it meant a lot because I knew that even though they didn't understand that I had people in my corner and that was so important because the biggest part of it was I just felt alone and it wasn't even alone in the fact that people didn't understand me. I literally felt isolated. And I don't know if that's like a normal part of the experience, but I remember at one point I just like, I told my husband, I just want to run away. Like I want to leave. 
I want to go somewhere where no one knows about this. And it's not because I was embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that, but I felt alone. And it's like, I was just going to make myself be alone. I guess I was just going to run off. I don't know why my mind is probably being irrational, but just being there for someone, even if it seems simple to you, it can mean a lot to that person. Like I teach Sunday school now and I tell my kids all the time, like what may seem like a small act of kindness to you and something that's not a big deal that can make somebody's whole day. Like for instance, like for a child, like, you know, they could go to school and they see someone alone on the playground and they go up there and they be that friend to them. To them, it may not be a big deal. Oh, I just went up to them and I talked to them and I was nice. That's not a big deal. But for that child that's alone, like that could have made their whole day and meant the world to them. So it's like, you know, in an instance like this, if wanting to help that friend, if it just seems insignificant to you and maybe not even like a big deal it's not going to come across that way like it's going to mean a lot to that person to just know that they have people in their corner and that they have friends that if they need to talk to yeah you may not understand but honestly I think sometimes when we're in conversation with people we listen just so we can respond but sometimes they don't even need you to say anything they just need someone there to listen like you may not get it but if you could just be a listening ear like that's going to be more than enough well I can't tell you how much I appreciate you going through and being willing to share your story like I said but also just kind of giving hope to those that maybe have walked in your shoes to some degree and like you said you know everybody's experience through pregnancy loss or just trauma in general is going to have some varying degrees of difference, but also it allows us to have some connect point. And so I'm thankful that you are willing to be the pilot connect point for this audience. And I don't take that lightly. So thank you so much, Jessica. Oh, absolutely. I was happy to be able to do it. And I hope that people listening, you know, they gain something from it, you know, because I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, the anxiety, you know, just, just don't dwell on it, you know, like it's going to get better. There's always tomorrow. So I hope that I was able to help in some way, but yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking me. So. Well, we appreciate everybody listening and you all have a wonderful day. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this content, please leave a review and share. If you'd like to donate, at this time you can do so via Venmo. You can learn more in the descriptions. Say the Pain will be back with another episode in two weeks. And until then, make a difference.